Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. Anywho, uh, let's get to our uh, message today, and we're going to be in Genesis 16 as we're studying the life of Abraham. And... Um, this is an interesting passage. It, it, I, I have to break it up because there's huge implications. It's a mistake. It's a mistake on Abraham's part and Sarah's part that causes them a lot of problems, okay? A lot of problems in their family, a lot of problems in their marriage, a lot of problems, everything uh, around them. And the problem then extends to a more global problem that we're seeing today. Okay, so I'll, w- w- that's where when I, we, on May 14th, I'll talk about the, the implication of this mistake, this lack of faith on their part to um, do what they did that has caused Israel today the problems they're facing with the Arab population that surrounds them. So what you're gonna study is the root cause of the Arab-Israeli conflict. This is the root. This is where it came from. And you're thinking, man, that's like a 4,000-year-old mistake. Yeah, it is. It is a 4,000-year-old mistake. But I can tell you this. When we diverge off the will of God for X amount of time, it doesn't just affect us. It affects other people. And it affects our grandkids, great-grandkids, and reverberates down through history sometimes. So you don't sometimes understand the impact you can make by making a bad decision. But here's the key. We're going to study Abraham, not to beat him up and not to beat up Sarah for this mistake. We're going to study it so we don't do the things they did because there's principles in this that, that help us not to have so many problems. I don't know. Um, have you reached a point in your life where you don't have any problems? I don't know. I think Johnny right here has no problems, but other than that, he's probably the only one, right? Uh, but we all have problems, we all come with it, and we're all dealing with junk all the time, some to a greater degree, some to a lesser degree. But until the rapture, until we die, they're gonna follow us all the way. And uh, the key in dealing with problems is, can you cure them, uh, or are they a coping problem? And those are the two ways you have to balance things out in life. It's, typically, it's a coping problem. Uh, curable problems, you know, can get past it, and finally you're done, but most of our lives are going to be coping problems. We're always going to have this thorn in the flesh because of a bad decision we made, and it really never goes away. So we just have to deal with it. So anyway, we're going to watch this drama play out, okay? And then I'll tie it to some current events and stuff like that. Now, here's the setting. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And like we talked about, this is a problem. It says this right at the outset of Abraham's call out of the Ur of the Chaldees that they have a problem. And the problem is she's barren. And in that society, if you were barren, um, it, it hurts you economically because that's who's going to take care of you in your older age. That's their social security is their children. The children will take care of the parents. If you're barren, there's no one to take care of you. Furthermore, property rights, inheritance rights, you don't have anything to pass on to. Um, so that, that complicates the problem. And the cultural shame of being barren in that world was horrific for women and, and men. 
um, because they didn't see it, you know, like we see, well, you know, someone just can't have a baby. There's some biological reasons and stuff like that. They didn't see it that way. The problem they saw it as, it's a spiritual problem and you're not blessed by the particular God that you serve. So barrenness was a shame marker on that culture. It's not today, but again, you have to go back 4,000 years ago and how they viewed this, okay? So she, here's the, that's the problem. The pro, and then the other problem, the complicated, is God's told Abraham, through you, a seed will come. And, and through your seed, it will be a blessing to all the nations. And again, the seed is plural and singular, that he's going to start a nation through Abraham. Well, in order to start a nation, you've got to have babies, you got to have children, and you start from there. And he can't have one, even though he's been told he will have one. And then ultimately, the seed of being the Messiah, right, coming through, through the Jewish line. So the problem is restated by Moses now, okay? And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Now, where did Hagar come from? She came from when Abraham panicked, and there was a famine in the land. Instead of trusting God to stay right there where he should have stayed in the promised land, he made a mistake and went down to Egypt to be able to survive the famine. And then that got him in a whole mess of problems, as you recall, because he told Sarah, hey, lie, tell him you're my, my sister, not my wife, because he's going to kill me to take you. And so Abraham did this and got her taken into the Pharaoh's harem. And Abraham was found out he lied to Pharaoh and all this other stuff. Well, here's what happened. The, the Pharaoh said, get out of here. You've brought me a lot of trouble because he's being plagued uh, by, go by God for taking Sarah, and, which he did not know. And they give Abraham and Lot a bunch of treasure. And it says that he gave Abraham men servants and maid servants. And this is where Hagar came from. Um, the Egyptians were not called Egyptians. They were called, the, the, uh, later on, the Hagarites. You'll see this in Psalm 83, which is the term Hagar. So Hagar is an Egyptian uh, female servant under Sarai. Okay? So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain a child by her. Now, on the surface, you think, are you out of your mind? This is insane. Like in the modern day time, that would be like your wife saying, well, I can't have a baby, so let me bring my, my, my concubine female servant to you, and you can have sex with her and have a baby through her. And we would all say, what are you, out of your mind? What are you, crazy? Do you know what kind of problems that's going to cause? Because there's a form of polygamy. Now, in the ancient world, again, you got to put your ancient world mindset in this. In the ancient world... When they married, they married uh, the wife for producing children to have heirs. And then they would have concubines at the same time. And that was the concubines for sexual pleasure. Now, this wasn't according to God's plan. Obviously, the plan you see in Genesis, as Messiah points out, that the two shall become one and that becomes the family unit. But a lot of things went haywire, obviously. And so in that day... It wasn't uncommon for a man to have a wife that he produced children with and then have a bunch of concubines. And that caused a lot of problems for Abraham, by the way, because he did have concubines. Anyway, notice what she says. 
the Lord, Yahweh, has restrained me from bearing children. Oh, okay. You see the problem here? Now, if you want to start problems in your own life, this is, this is the way to do it if you want more problems. Blame God. Blame God for your dis- stupid decisions. Now, this is going to be a stupid decision. Now, here's the thing, though. Here's what, a couple things you got to understand. In that day and time, you know, Abraham doesn't have the scriptures, and he's dealing with God one-on-one, okay? So he had a disadvantage compared to you and I. But it wasn't illegal to do this in that day and time. We see uh, other codes. um, Hold on. Let me show you the code. There it is. We see that during that time through archaeology that in the laws of Hammurabi and the Nuzi uh, law codes of that time, that's, that's from Abraham's period, that it was legal that if your wife couldn't bear children, that you could go to the concubine and produce heirs through her and the children would be your wife's children even though it came from a different woman. And that's how they settled property issues and inheritance rights and all of that stuff. So we have documentation from that era right there in front of us that that's what they did. So here's the thing. What Sarah is suggesting is not out of line with the culture that she lived in. Okay? But notice what I said. Not out of line with the culture. Okay? So let's go back here. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about blaming God. So the first thing you do when you're having problems is, well, I don't understand why God led me to marry this, this nincompoop here, and I don't know why he, he led me to make this decision, and why didn't he just intervene and say, don't do that, you're going to make a huge mistake, it's going to cost you 25 years, don't do that. Why didn't God intervene? And that's where a lot of people start blaming God. He could have told me, why didn't he warn me? Well, you get on that track, you're going to complicate your life a little bit more, okay? Because she's already doing it. She's already blaming God. God has restrained me from having a child, okay? That's wrong to say that. Here's where you should put the blame instead of God. The world system controlled by Satan, the sin nature and our personal sin, the demonic realm that tempts us to do things, people who sin against us, which happens all the time on a daily basis, and then the fall, See, those five areas are where you're to put the blame, not God. But Satan tempts us to blame God, and just like he told E, look, he's holding out on you. Don't, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't have the best. Why doesn't he intervene? Why doesn't he help you? But Satan is trying to get to blame God instead of looking at these five areas and saying, no, where did, where did my problems come from? It came from one of these five areas. Maybe I have health problems. Am I going to blame God for my health problems? No, I'm going to blame the fall. Maybe I have marital problems. Am I going to blame God for my marital problems? No, you're going to blame your decisions for picking that type of person. And this is what you have to live with now and figure out how to cope with. Or whatever the the problem is, you know. Well, I got my kids are out of control and I don't know what to do. Well, maybe it's your parenting style. Or maybe you have a cane on your hand. You don't know. But don't blame God. Why did God give me this kid? He's out of control or she's out of control. No, no, no. Maybe it's your parenting skills. But Satan will do that. So 
let's not do that, okay? Let's not do what Sarah does and start blaming God instantaneously because you'll become bitter and angry and it'll mess you up. Now, let's talk about the social pressure behind this. Like I mentioned, the social pressure to do something about and rectify this situation immediately is bearing down on Sarah and Abraham because culturally they look like they've been cursed by whatever God they follow, okay? So you can almost get into the mindset real quick. Let's, let's talk about maybe some kind of conversations hypothetically that Sarah and Abraham had. By the way, they have been sitting waiting for God to, uh, to bring his promise of a child for 10 years now. Okay, so it's been 10 years since God has told them you're gonna have a child and they're sitting here at, at, the, at the decade mark saying, what does this mean? Is he gonna do anything? And you can imagine the conversation Abraham and Sarah is having. It's like, well, I'm still barren. I can't have any kids and I'm, I'm older now. She is about 75, 76 years old right now at this point in time. And a Abraham's like 85, 86. So they're up there. And they're like, this, I don't think this is gonna happen. You can see the doubt of the faith coming in, right? Like, this problem's not gonna be solved. But the social pressure is everybody, you can, you can only spiritualize it. Everybody looking around them saying, what God do you serve? I serve Yahweh. Well, apparently Yahweh doesn't have the power to make you uh, fertile and have a child. And so you can almost think in theological terms that they're, they want to, not bring the reputation down of Yahweh. And they, you know, maybe they become a defender of Yahweh and say, we, we, we gotta do something. We can't have these people you know, blaming our God of why he hasn't opened my womb. So you can almost get into that mindset. And so the pro social pressure to conform is immense, absolutely immense. And they cave into it. And that's the problem we're, we've been watching for, I don't know, even our last decade of watching Christians cave in to the social pressure. They can't handle it. And so when you cave in and I cave in, we create a whole host of new problems. So look at this, look at the current events that are happening, the social pressure on all of us. Um, and so like, for instance, um, in America, we have a single opinion cult going on. We call it wokeness. I call it the whore of Babylon. But we have the pressure from the woke culture. You better be inclusive, Brandon. You better be diverse. You better be equitable. You better not be a racist than all that junk, right? And now the new term they're being put on us is we're Christian nationalists. And now the other thing, they're slinging mud at us. And I heard Mark, Hitch, uh, Mark Hitchcock talk about this. They're calling us the Armageddon group. Yeah, because we, because we believe in the Lord's return and we're trying to hasten it. So we want Armageddon to go down and we're for Armageddon. We're for the destruction of society. And, and so now they're blaming us as if some weird cult um, that wants to usher in the end times. And it's like, dude, you, that couldn't be further from the truth. I can't usher in the end times and neither can any Christian. It's up to God when he, he does that. Would I want the Lord to return? Absolutely. But it's his timing. I can't usher that in. But that's how they're demonizing us now. So this woke culture is putting pressure on us. So 
They're demonizing us if we talk about prophecy. No wonder the churches don't talk about prophecy. No wonder the churches don't talk about gay marriage. No wonder the churches don't talk about transgenderism. No wonder the churches don't talk about critical race theory. They're under the social pressure and they're buckling. Look at the pressure that's happening to our kids in our nation. This is a new report from the CDC. One in four high school students now identify as homosexual, bisexual, or are currently questioning their sexuality. Oh, I wonder why. And you know the answer. The pressure the kids are, are being put under in our high schools and public schools is more than they can bear. You got grooming teachers all over the place pushing this crazy agenda on our kids. No wonder 25% of our kids now identify as, as that. And by the way, that's not even appropriate to the culture where only less than 1% identify that. How is it the culture's 1%, but in the schools, they have 25%? Dude, that's enormous. Something happened. Well, I can tell you, the buckling under the social pressure. Look at this. Look at the social pressure here. Teacher threatens students who reject LGBTQ learning in UK class. If you refuse, that, you, that the, per, the kid will be dealt with severely. What? That's pressure. Study, short-term face mask use, use, uh, uses, uh, use causes carbon dioxide poisoning, cognitive impairment, testicular damage, stillbirth, and impaired memory, they're finding out. Oh, but yeah, but everyone caved in by wearing the mask, didn't they? We got to save lives. Wearing the mask was like wearing a chain link fence around your, your mouth, and the, the, the little particles go right through the chain link fence. They didn't work. But yet, when they put it on people, it caused all kinds of problems. But why did people wear the mask, even though there was no evidence that it worked? Pressure, social pressure. Remember the mask Nazis when you walked into Walmart or you walked into Walgreens or wherever? Put that mask on. You had some, some little twerp behind the counter telling, uh, mandating me to do something that didn't work. And they, went, and they got off on the power trip, man. They love the power. Look at this. Want to send your kids to Christian camp? Better think twice. Turns out that the camp, these Christian camps are all in when it comes to gender madness. Youth, it says, is a time of exploration and identity formation. This is at a Christian camp. Moreover, according to the inclusivity statement, the Bible itself supports gender identity, it said. The camp said that. That the Bible supports this. There, and it goes on, there are people in scripture who defy gender norms. Really? Tell me who? Oh, the eunuch who was baptized by Philip. You gotta be kidding me, right? They're gonna say the eunuch was a transgender back in the day and he was perfectly accepted as he is. I don't wanna say, do you even know what a eunuch is? This wasn't by choice. He was castrated forced. This wasn't by choice, and I feel like I'm a, a girl in a man's body, and so I'm, I'm just going to go on the chopping block and, and take off parts of my body so I can pretend I'm a female? Are you out of your mind? That's not what the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch did. He was probably a court official in a high area, and they did that to all court officials in pagan world, so they wouldn't mess with the harems. 
I can't believe that's even said. I, am I even entertaining this? It's crazy. That's what social pressure does, right? Okay, so here she goes. Under the social pressure, under blaming God, after 10 years, please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her, which is according to culture standards that she can do this. So she's not doing anything illegally. But here's the thing. Just because something is legal doesn't make it right to do. Right? We have that going on all over the place. And in her mind, that's how she's thinking. So if you say, well, state of California allows me to do this and X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but does God? Notice who's missing in the text. It's not like Abraham saying, hey, man, I think we better take this before the Lord. We need to ask him what to do. Notice what's missing. There's no, there's no calling on God. There's no praying no seeking the Lord's will at all in this. We're just going to do this tater chip, let her rip. And I'm saying, dude, you're going to make a decision without God? You're out of your mind. You will definitely make the wrong decision on that one. So, a couple things to keep in mind. A methodology may be legal, Right? with the laws of the land, the society, the culture, but it doesn't make it right to practice in order to solve our supposed problems. So, you know, that's a picture of the lemmings going off the, the, the cliff, and it says, wait a minute, something feels wrong. Yeah, something feels wrong, and what does the crowd say? Shut up, you moron. Do as you've been told. It's for your own good. That's what our culture says. Shut up, you moron Christian. Don't oppose, don't oppose gay marriage. Shut up, moron. Don't oppose Fauci, you moron. Don't you believe in science? Are you a science denier, you moron? You see what I'm saying? And then that's, that's, so people then say, oh yeah, I don't want to be a moron. I definitely don't want to be a racist. I definitely don't want to be anti-science. So what do they do? Go right off the cliff with the lemmings and then use their methodology to solve the problem. What kind of thing is she doing to solve her barrenness? Instead of going to the Lord and asking for a supernatural thing to happen, she is using conventional, worldly, of the flesh methodologies to solve her problem. That's the last thing you need to do. It sounds like it's wisdom of the day. Well, this is what everyone would do. This is what people would do. Okay, here's the funny thing, and I'll bring this point up to you right now. A lot of stuff's gonna happen financially. I've been talking about it, you know about it, and yet, I have people that go to Christian financial advisors who are clueless about what's going on. Clueless. And they're saying, you need to invest in this and invest. And I'm like, are you insane? Don't they? I said, don't your, your Christian investor know about the digital currency that's coming? Don't they know that 11,000 banks are currently using the system now as a trial basis? Don't you know that like 20-something countries are already using a digital currency? Don't you hear the stories about now you can trade in your cash for a digital card now, like you saw in the Prophecy Update? Don't you hear that? And the financials like clueless. Then I, I told them, I said, dude, if that was my financial advisor, I would drop them like a bad habit. I would go find someone else that knows what's currently going on. That's crazy, right? 
But what are the financial advisors doing? Well, we've always had glitches, and you just got to ride it up and down, and there's ups and downs, so the, the best thing is long-term. You know what that is? That's a Christian that's practicing what we call uh, 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 this continual state that nothing's ever going to change, okay? And that's warned about in 2 Peter chapter 3, that the scoffers always will say, nothing's going to change. It's always going to go the way it's always been, Brandon. Nothing will change. And that right there is a spiritual mistake because it takes the factor out that God can intervene or allow something to happen that changes everyone's life. And that's the problem. And so you see this uh, continuing uh, mentality among Christians. And I get it. A lot of them don't want to face the reality of what's happening to our, our culture and our country. That I know that. And so they want to pretend it's not happening and blind your eyes to it. But here's the thing. Go stick your head in the sand. But will it still happen? Yeah, it has still happened to you. Whether, you. whether you bury your head in the sand about it or not. The thing about it is, as a Christian, you should see what's coming on and then take precautionous steps. A wise man sees a pit and avoids it. So look at the pressure. Abortion is a right, they say, right? Don't tread on me, it's my body, my choice. And the pressure has gotten so bad on the church that a good portion of the church is now supporting abortion on the basis now check how they're arguing that this will destroy the woman's life and hurt her financially. That's how the churches now are arguing this. Or they just don't talk about it because it's too political. This is a black and white issue. But what's happening? The churches are caving in on the social pressure. Look at this. The gay marriage thing, right? Or it, How is it that 54% of, of Christians support this now? And the churches. You know, uh, you know, like I have mentioned, you know, we got First Baptist Orlando that are, uh, that are actually baptizing, full-blown practicing gay men who are married to each other and baptizing them. Why is that happening? Because 54% of the church doesn't see a problem with it. Why? Social pressure. Look at this. This is happening in Minnesota. In Minnesota, legislators move to strike clause from the bill that prevents pedophilia from being classified as a sexual orientation. What? Here's what happens. A transgender state representative in Minnesota has moved to strike a clause in HF 1655, which if adopted, okay, it hasn't been adopted yet, but they're, they're trying to pass it. Sexual attachment to children could be a protected characteristic. That's in Minnesota. I'm surprised it's not happening here. Now, again, this hasn't passed, but I want you to see the mindset of politicians who are trying to pass bills in support of pedophilia. So our culture is caving in to the transgender pedophilia movement, and this is what they start doing. But here's the thing, and you know it well, it's the principle. The ends don't justify the means. What's the ends for Abraham and Sarah? We want a child because God said we're going to have a child and a nation will be born through our lineage that will produce the seed or produce the Messiah. We've got to do something. So let's do this since we've waited 10 years and God hasn't answered this. 
And so in Abraham and Sarah's mind, the end, which is in their mind is a good end. No one would doubt that. Yeah, you need to have a child. You're gonna start a nation. That's a good end. But they used the wrong methodology to accomplish that. And that's what gets you all of us in trouble. So behind the right goals that we have, we wanna do these things for God. We believe God's leading us to do this. God's leading us to do that. And he is. The problem is if you try to attain that through your own methodologies, humanistically speaking, you will fail. So you have to have the right motives, the right goals, and the right methodologies. So you have to ask yourself, how are we gonna get there? So if the goal is there and God's, this is what I want you to do, you have to ask yourself, am I using fleshly means to achieve that goal or am I waiting on God and his lead of how he opens the doors and channels me there, okay? Now let me give you an example from the church world because this is the easy example from the world I'm in. Churches have a good motivation sometimes of wanting to evangelize, okay? It's a good motivation, good goal, right? Everyone would say, yeah, we need to evangelize, great. But their methodologies in which they go about doing it is flesh, not of the spirit. What do you mean? Well, how about this one? They have a major VBS, and they, and they want to report back to the congregation. How many kids got saved at VBS? How many kids got baptized? And then they'll equate baptism with salvation. So they pile the kids all in a room and say, who wants to go to heaven and not hell? Me. Who, you know. And then they come back and say, 150 kids accepted the Lord. And then we go and we're going to take them and we're going to baptize them all, 150 kids. When you talk to the kid, the kid didn't even know what he's doing. The kid doesn't have any idea. And so they're baptizing kids that, don't, that pray to prayer and doesn't even know what, what happened to them. And then we're baptizing them so we can tell the other churches we baptize 150 kids. And the kids don't even know what's going on. Or how about this? A goal, we're going to baptize 500 people in one year. Really? 500? How, do you, how can you set that kind of goal and, and just arbitrarily put that out, and, 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 and that may not be the results God wants you to have, but we're gonna baptize 500, God bless us, so we're gonna go do it. And I watched it, and I watched people be dunked that didn't even, weren't even saved. Oh, today, I was there Sunday night, 499. We're just one short, anyone out there need to be baptized? I mean, seriously. Anyone out there need to be about? I said, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And you know what they did? They pulled some old boy off the street. 500, praise God. You fool. That wasn't 500 from God. That was 500 of the flesh. And I can guarantee you about 80% of them didn't even know what was happening. Because you had a goal of 500. So now you can go tell the big shots at the convention we baptized 500 when you really didn't. You see, even the churches play this game. You got churches here locally 
we gotta reach the youth. And how are we gonna reach the youth? We're gonna, is it through the gospel? No, what we're gonna do instead of reaching them through the gospel is I'm gonna give a five minute sermonette because their attention spans are not that good, right? And then during worship, we're gonna have a smoke machine on this side and that side of the stage. And then we hooked up some laser lights to go. And then uh, we're gonna darken everything when they worship so no one participates in worship, but they're entertained. And then I'm gonna bring in an Elvis impersonator on Easter Sunday to entertain them. And and he's gonna sing Hunk of Burning Love on Easter Sunday. You think I'm making this up, don't you? You think I'm making this up? Or we're gonna do Michael Jackson's Thriller. And that will entertain them. And it's like, you fool, you're entertaining goats. The only thing you're going to attract by that is goats. Why don't you preach the gospel? Why don't you preach the scriptures? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not a laser light smoke show like the ones in town. You see the fleshly versus the spiritual? That's what Abraham and Sarah are doing. A lot of articles about this. Every self-promoting, virtue-signaling, chameleon evangelical has jumped on the bandwagon, caved on the feelings-based theology, using preferred pronouns, misguided compassion. That's a big one, is misguided compassion in the churches. Um, For evil, promotion of the LGBT transgender, child grooming, child mutilation, same-sex marriage, multiple pathways to God, the turning of the church into a social club in order to evangelize. And that will always be why they claim they do what they do. We're evangelizing. Paul said to become all things to all people. They take that passage out of context and do a slick Broadway presentation. That's what they're doing. And at the end of the day, they'll call it evangelizing. And so people don't know how to, well, yeah, I guess I better shut up because it's for evangelism. So if the pastor wants to come out uh, riding a horse uh, and then put a unicorn thing on him or, and all kinds of weird stuff like I've seen, then I guess that's for evangelism purposes. What's the point? It's flesh. The modern hip progressive churches, those who pander to the popular culture, are evolving into bastions of tolerance. These trendy so-called enlightened churches have swapped the sacred for the secular the divine for the deluded, the prophetic for the politically correct. They preach a watered-down approach to the biblical teaching that prioritizes unity over truth, and that's right. Unity over truth. We just need to get along, Brandon. I don't know why Brandon's so divisive. I don't know why Brandon's so, you know, uh, you know he wasn't, doesn't want to get along. That's right, because I don't get along with evil. I don't get along with people and pastors and churches that do things for pragmatic purposes just to have results. Because at the end of the day, it's about nickels and noses for them. How big are the crowds? How big are the, how much the money is coming in? That's all it's about. And then we're gonna, we used to need to be united. Really united. How can I unite that someone with a Christian that wants to abort babies? How can I unite with a Christian that says gay marriage is okay? How do I unite with a Christian that says uh, is anti-Israel? I can't. There's no fellowship because unity The basis of unity, Christian unity, is truth. You can only unify with those who hold the truth. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. Now, the men in here probably say, see, that's why I don't listen to my wife. (laughs) But that's not what it's teaching. That's not what it's teaching. 
See, right there, Brandon, that's the principle. Don't listen to your wife. Right there, Abraham, he, no, 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 no. It's telling you, it's not, don't, go, don't go sexist on this thing. Um, what it's saying is that instead of listening to the voice of Yahweh, who he didn't approach, who he didn't seek, he listened to the wrong voice, okay? And this is a key here. You listen to the wrong voice and not God. You may think it's beneficial. You may think it's gonna help you and, and you will get yourself in a mess, okay? So you got all these voices that are trying to talk to us. Look at, it happened in the Lord's ministry. Do you remember this scene? You remember this scene? Um, well, when we, let, me, let me give you the principle first. When we choose to do things our way, God will not typically rescue us, it, will he? He is not obligated to intervene when we throw ourselves off the proverbial temple. That's what Abraham and Sarah are doing. They're gonna take a risk without God and hope that God creates a soft landing for them. And, and if you watch this, he doesn't ever intervene. Now, here's the interesting thing. After this happens, God will not talk to Abraham for another 13 years. Silence. Complete silence from God. And what, it, what is that showing us? It's showing if you don't want to include God in your plans, he's quite fine to back off of you and let you have your own demise. Because you think, oh my goodness, this is going to be a tragedy because we are seeing the tragedy of what's going on in the Middle East. It has cosmic implications of what Abraham and Sarah are doing right now and God never intervenes. God never says, hey, stop, stop, stop. You know why? Because they're doing their own will. God will respect you if you want to exclude him and do your own thing. And he will not intervene. He will watch you drive the car right into the wall, the proverbial brick wall. He will not intervene. Because what you're doing at that point in time, what I'm doing at that point in time, is taking matters into my own hands, excluding him, and then I'm gonna make this decision and I'm gonna jump in blind and think that if I mess up, he will rescue me. And he's gonna teach you a lesson and me a lesson, I won't rescue you. I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life and he, don't re he doesn't rescue me from them. He makes me live through them. He makes me understand the impact of my decision and how long it takes to finally get that consequence fairly dealt with. But he doesn't intervene, he doesn't stop me. Why? I, I always say, why didn't he, you know, it, it, when I blame God, and we all do, why didn't he stop me here? Why didn't he redirect me here? Why did we do this? Why did I do that? And it's because you fool, you have free will, and you were doing your own thing. That's why you did what you did. And I'm not gonna intervene. That's, that's a principle we all have to understand. This is what Satan was trying to do with Jesus by throwing him off the temple. Saying, look, man, throw yourself off and God will rescue you. Right? He was tempting. And what did the Messiah say? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord. So when we go out and do our own thing, we are tempting God to rescue us. Well, this is how the mentality is. God, if you don't want me to do this, then stop me. Oh my goodness, that's like an eight-year-old prayer. Really? 
if you don't want me to do this, then stop me, that's the totally wrong approach. It should be, you tell me what to do, and then I'll take that next step. I just don't start going out on my own and walking, saying, stop me, stop me. He won't. He will let you jump off the proverbial temple, and you will smack down, hit that ground, and that's the reality uh, he wants to wake you up to. Don't ever step out without me. What did, what did Moses do? Moses stepped out beyond the God, God's will, saw an Egyptian hurting a Jew. What did he do? Murdered the guy. He was out of the will of God. And he spent 40 years in the desert learning the lesson, don't get ahead of God. And that's where our problems come. So if the Lord and his will are not the priority, then we will listen to other voices and that will throw us out of the will. Now, we got voices listening to us. I don't know if you, all of us probably, are, we're not gonna listen to Klaus Schwab, but the rest of the world does, Joe Biden does, why? We don't listen to this guy, but the rest of the world does. This guy wants to give you fake meat, cancer burgers. The United States listen to this guy, all the politicians. This guy was in charge of our nation. Did you know that? And we all, not we as a group, but um, the nation listened to this guy and did exactly what this guy said. And now we have gain of function and all this other junk that we found with this guy. This, guy's, this guy uh, will go down in history as one of the most evilest guys to ever walk the face of the earth. He's up there with Mangala. okay? You're, you're looking at the American Mangala. But we listened to them, didn't we? Not you and me, but I'm talking about the nation. Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer. Why did we do that? We listened to Larry Page. He's creating an AI that's completely out of control according to Elon Musk, but yet the world's listening to him. It's another voice. We don't listen to him. Bezos, people listen to him. We don't listen to him, but look how much influence he's having. And then the world listens to these guys, the alphabet soup, right? The alphabet soup, the mainstream media, that's where people get their news now. You can't trust Fox now that Tucker's gone, by the way. Fox is going mainstream, and Murdoch's kids are leftist liberals, okay? Don't, don't think Fox is going to be your outlet for conservative news. You better find outlets through other means on the internet, but not Fox News. They're part of the problem now. Look what our kids are listening to. They go to the, the colleges and universities. Who do they listen to? The professors. I will not question my liberal professors is the motto in college. Or we go to, we send our kids to the public schools and what are they taught there? Groomed, LGBT, critical race theory, and, and America's bad, America's hateful, America's systemically racist, yada, yada, yada. Why do we keep doing that? Because People are listening to the wrong voices. They're not listening to God anymore in our country. They're not. Because if they were, they would act differently. And when we listen to Greta Thunberg, the prophetess of the whole fake man-made global warming, and yet they still perpetrate this as if it's fact. Why? Because they have to destroy the economy to get to the kind of globalist economy they want. And they're using this as an excuse for it. Huh. Wrong voices, right? Lying voices. But here's the thing. 
You and I say, well, I don't listen to Bill Gates. You're right, I don't either. I don't listen to Fauci, and you're right, you don't either. I don't listen to you know, Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum. That's right, I don't listen to Biden. That's right, I don't either. But who did Abraham listen to? The wife, the wrong voice. Now again, you guys are going sexist on this whole thing. You're saying, uh, yes, he listened to his wife, and I knew, that, I knew you were coming back to that, Brandon. I knew it. So right there, and there's, I saw people like this right now doing this. No, 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 no. The principle is this, that you're going to get thrown off by someone close to you who you trust. Bingo. It'll always be the ones closest to you that throw you off. Really? Now that, that could be your spouse, right? That could be. But could it be your adult children? It could be your young children. It could be your mom and dad. It could be a confidant, a friend, someone you work with. Someone close to you that you trust. And once you start trusting that person, your barriers go down by the way, because like, look, if, I, if Bill Gates came in this room and says, okay, we're gonna all start eating synthetic meat, you would say, I'm not listening to you, why? Because your guard would be up. There's no relationship with Bill Gates. And, and because there's no relationship, you're not apt to listen to him. So the devil knows that. Now he does that to the culture because the culture is out to lunch. But how is the devil gonna go after you? He goes after you who the people that are closest to you where you're emotionally bonded and your guard is down and you don't think straight with them. So, the devil will lead you astray by them. Whoa, that's not fair. I know it's not fair. I know it's not fair. So this is the thing you have to understand as a Christian where the temptation will come, okay? So a lot of people, their spouses, put pressure on them and the pressure to conform to the spouse's wishes, whether it's male or female, becomes so overwhelming that instead of seeking God on what they do, they go and follow the spouse's recommendations and they do something stupid, all and all of it was just to satisfy the spouse, but there's no thought theologically that, that anchors the person anymore. Well, this is my spouse, you know, I gotta go home to her, Brandon, or I gotta go him, I gotta go home to him, and he's an ogre, and I just wanna I just wanna get him pacified and get him settled so he can get off my back or she can get off my back. And so they cave. That's what Abraham did. He caved into someone close to him, putting pressure on him. Now look at this, it happened to Jesus, didn't it? Jesus then teaches the, the, the bread of life, and he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He was saying that metaphorically, in order, you must receive me basically uh, for your salvation, but he was using a metaphor of drink my blood, eat my flesh. And he knew it was gonna cause problems because he wanted to separate the, the wheat from the chaff, okay? So he says it uh, as a metaphor. And, and uh, many of them um, bailed on him 
because of what he said. And, the, and the, the concept there is if you follow the word of God and if, if you stick to it, it will wean those bad voices out because all they wanted was bread from him. All they wanted was how they could fill their belly. So he says that and separates it. Okay, but that's on one level. But then it goes to another level. And the level is when he's talking to the disciples who are closest to him and the ones closest to him start giving him bad advice. So it's one thing if you can separate the outer circle. It's another thing when your inner circle starts turning on you. Here it is. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. Can you imagine Peter's rebuking God, okay? It's pretty bad, but it's the one, he's part of the inner circle of the three. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Well, how did Jesus respond? Jesus responded theologically, not emotionally, and not because of the relationship. But he turned and said to him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And so, obviously, the Lord can push back that and say, you're not thinking correctly. You're not thinking as God would think. Again, that's what you and I will have to do to our closest people is sometimes they're not thinking of the things of God. They're thinking for their own selfish reasons or fear or whatever is driving them, rescuing or whatever. And they'll say, do this for me. And theologically, you're gonna say, hmm, I know this doesn't square theologically, but I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want them to get mad. I don't want the other family members getting mad at me. And I don't want to look at like I'm mean. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, you can't get stronger than a rebuke than that. When someone's off theologically putting pressure on you, someone's working through them to derail you. I tell my staff, the devil's not, not going to come at you in the front door. He's going to come at the back door and use one of your family members to come at you. And, and a lot of times they don't believe me until it happens. And then it happens. They're like, man, I can't believe you, you, you called it. I said, I told you that's what's going to happen. They're going to use someone closest to you. And at that point, you have to see for what it is. Step back and realize, whoa, wait a second. Satan is using the vulnerabilities of that person to come against me. And you, you have to catch that. Because if not, you will be led astray. Now, with that being said, I got to close. But what's the takeaway here? Well, the takeaway is this. Your problem, what you think is your problem, is not your problem. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. What you think is here is only the tip of the iceberg 
what's below is what you have to go after. If you're just dealing with tip of the iceberg problems, you're never gonna get to the root of the problem and you're never gonna either expunge that, that problem out of you or figure out how to deal with it. So the key in all of this is look at your problems and realize there's a root cause to it and as you can see the root cause in this, it is because you and I decided to do things by the flesh and without God. And that will be the biggest awakening you will ever see. I hope you get to that bottom. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from Abraham and Sarai, from their example. It's a picture of us, Father. We see ourselves in this whole mess that they cause. We cause our own messes. And we're living with some of that mess right now, Father. A lot of us here, including myself, are living with bad decisions that we made. And we made them without you. There's no doubt about it. Help us not to do that anymore. Help us to include you in everything we do. Help us to put you in the priority, theologically, what we should do and not cave into the pressure of not only from the culture, but from the people around us that seem to have good intentions but are not have the things of God in mind. Help us to see that, Father, and then act accordingly. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know your son as Savior, they would come to faith in him today, understand he died on a cross for their sins, was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who will believe. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.